This week, we're continuing in our series in 1 John. Now, about a month ago, our brother George Bristow got us started off in this book. And we as elders just couldn't leave it at that. We had to follow it up and explore the rest of the book and offer a word of encouragement through these what are definitely and undeniably very tough times. So three weeks ago, our brother Alan spoke on, this is how we know. And he spoke about how we can be sure of our salvation by abiding in God. He spoke about how we love him and how we love our fellow Christians. He talked about how we are sealed and assured by the Holy Spirit. That was followed last week by Paul speaking on walking in God's light. He spoke about how we are invited to walk in the light and how walking in the light changes our lives. It changes how we view sin and our relationship with our other Christians. Now we are transitioning to practicing God's truth which builds on what Alan and Paul spoke about. It echoes their themes, and it adds a new dimension to the love and encouragement that we find in Christ. So first, a little interactive part. Who recognizes this building? Feel free to answer if you're at home. Fiona, go ahead. Uh, it looks kind of like Carnegie Hall. It is, in fact, Carnegie Hall. Uh, and what's the rule? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? That's right, you practice. So in this case, that would involve things like playing scales and songs over and over again until you've perfected them. And it's likely that when you saw the word practicing God's truth, this is what popped into your mind when you heard practice. However, there's some subtle variations on the word practice. For example, Another meaning would be if someone was running a law practice, or perhaps Paul, who runs a dental practice, we would say they are practicing those professions. Now, if I go to Paul and I open wide, I would prefer not to think that he's using me for practice. <laughs> I prefer to think that he's good at his work and he's putting his knowledge and his skill into practice on me. And it's this definition that we will be using today as we focus on the idea of practicing God's truth. That is, practicing God's truth means actively implementing and acting upon the truth of God that we know and that's already ingrained into our character. The Apostle Paul speaks about himself putting into practice God's truth, and he encourages others to imitate him as he does that. We read in Philippians 4.9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. So while we certainly should practice God's truths over and over again to improve our understanding and execution of them, that's just not what we'll be talking about this morning. So now hopefully we're all on the same page about the word pra what practice means, and now we can proceed. So we're in the book of 1 John. I happen to think John is one of the great writers of all time. Now I know writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives him an unfair advantage over secular writers. But to me, he stands out even among biblical writers. He has such a powerful way of introducing wonderful and lofty topics in a way that speaks to everyone. Just look at the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. So much meaning about who Jesus is and what he came to do, packed in short, simple statements and conveyed with images such as light and darkness that we can all connect with regardless of our background. 
The book of 1 John is no different. Let's look at how it starts. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So if we kind of take these verses and start at the end, in verse 4 he writes, we write this to make our joy complete. And if your Bible is footnoted, it probably says down at the bottom that the word our could also be rendered your. But either way, the purpose of the book is the same. Fundamentally, 1 John is about joy and not some temporal mild happiness, but a deep and profound and enduring joy. We need to keep this in mind as we read through this book. The book covers many different topics, but John's purpose in writing them is to bring us joy. So before we go chasing that joy, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, as we look into the truth, we pray that the truth would be properly handled by us, Lord, that we would rely on your Holy Spirit to teach us, and that the truth of your word would come shining through, that it would embed itself in our hearts, Lord, and that it would overflow into our practice, the things we do in our day-to-day lives. We pray that every aspect of it would show you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's return to this topic of deep and profound joy. It stands in contrast to the world's view of Christianity. The world often views Christianity as a contest of who can be the most miserable, who can be the most wretched, the most self-effacing, who can suck the most fun out of life. Dare I say the term killjoy is often used. Many see the practice of Christianity as dull and unexciting by design, just like the cat in this picture. I had fun once, and it was horrible. But what does John proclaim? He writes this. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, Paul spoke about this last week. A wonderful and beautiful light from the Father has been made known to us, transforming us from eternal life, or from eternal death to eternal life. A message of good news and great joy. Next, we will see that joy comes through fellowship with the Father and the Son. This joy that we're talking about is not one that's far off, but it's something we can have the full experience of. See what it says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. The truth and experience of God was meant to be heard and seen and touched. It fully engages us and it teaches us on every level. And for what purpose? We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. The purpose is to fellowship with each other and with the Father through the Son. And that brings us back to our topic today, practicing God's truth. You see, fellowship requires compatibility between our actions 
and God's truth. We cannot properly fellowship with God if we are not practicing his truths. Now this morning we'll be keying in on 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 through 29. But first I want to get some context from the Gospel of John. So these, uh, chapter 15, and these verses will serve as companion to the verses we're going to be looking at in 1 John. The overall case we will be making is that fellowship with the Father and the Son is what brings us joy, and that fellowship is supported by practicing God's truth, which means acknowledging who Christ is and obeying his commands. So John chapter 15, verses 9 through 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So fellowship is generally defined as friendship or companionship. And the Lord sees us as his friends if we do what he commands. We see here that if we keep his commands, we will remain in his love. And in verse 11, there's that theme again, joy. And not ordinary joy, but complete joy. And if fellowship means friendship, what does he say? You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Now, it seems contradictory, right? By doing what he commands, we are his friends rather than his servants. Well, servants do what they're commanded, right? And in today's world, that might also be employees do what they're commanded. Friends do what they're asked because they love the one who is asking. And one would think that by doing what he commands, because he's commanding us to do it, we would become his servants. But the opposite is true. By following his commands or practicing his truths, we are elevated from servants to friends. And how is that? It's because he loves us and we love him. So John 15 teaches us that obedience or practicing God's truth, leads to fellowship, leads to fellowship with the Son. And the introduction to 1 John teaches us that fellowship leads to complete joy, a theme that, of course, John 15 echoes. You see how it's all connected together. Thus, we will amend the title of our message this morning from practicing God's truth to practicing God's truth equals complete joy. So as we look at practicing God's truth, We need to see it from God's perspective. Its purpose is not to regulate our lives into a state of sinless monotony. The Pharisees tried that and failed. It is to bring us closer to him and to experience his joy. So now that we've laid the foundation, we are ready for 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read uh, chapter 2, verses 20 through 29. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. 
I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right is, has been born of him. So what does 1 John teach us about God's truth? First, it teaches us that we can know the truth. And what is that truth? That truth is that Jesus is the Christ. And it says not only can we know it, but in fact we already know it. Verse 20 tells us all of you know the truth. How could we practice something we don't know? As always, God has it covered. He would not ask us to practice his truth without making a way for us to know it. And as we will see in a moment, yes, all who have come to Christ know the truth. Now, it feels like the truth is under attack these days. Many seek to make the truth arbitrary. They may say something like, you can have your truth and I'll have mine. They may make the claim, well, if you believe it, it's truth to you. And when we hear these things, we may think the world is going crazy. But this, this is nothing new. Let's look back almost 2,000 years. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, he didn't say much, but they did have this exchange. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. Now, a while back, Steve Lamison spoke on Pilate's thoughts about the truth. See, Pilate, like many, did not want to confront the truth. Rather, he believed that just by avoiding a definition of it, he could avoid confronting the reality of it. Jesus, of course, took a different approach, declaring himself to be the truth. When the disciples were uncertain, he told them plainly, John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There aren't any options listed. Jesus declares that he is the truth, not a truth. God in his grace did not leave us in helpless ignorance of the truth, but rather he declared it plainly to us. He made sure we could understand it then by sending the Spirit. Looking in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. If we are going to practice God's truth, we have to understand that we can know his truth. This has to be deeply ingrained in us, that there is a truth and we can know it. That truth comes from God. It's not by our own power that we can know it, but through the Spirit. So John can confidently write, 
You have the Spirit, and because you have the Spirit, you know the truth. What does John go on to say? Verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So here we see the lie. The lie stands in contrast to the truth. Those who deny that Jesus is the Christ are lying. John calls them the Antichrist. Now, to be clear, this is a lowercase Antichrist, which in this context means one who opposes Christ, not to be confused with the Antichrist with a capital A that we see in the book of Revelation. The truth of God starts with the acknowledgement of who Christ is and who the Father is. And this is how it all started for us. When we came to faith, first, we acknowledged who Christ is, our need for him, and what he did so that we could come to him and to come to the Father through him. But the Bible is clear. It doesn't end with the acknowledgement of who Christ is. Rather, coming to Christ is just the beginning of our fellowship with him and the Father. Next, we will see that practicing God's truth brings us assurance of eternal life. Verses 24 and 25 and 29. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So we see here the assurance of eternal life comes from the practice of God's truth. He promises us eternal life, and he allows our lives to provide that evidence that we are born of him. This assurance comes from remaining in him, which again brings us back to practicing the truth, because the truth remains in us. When we remain in him, we will obey him, and we will act like him. And the Bible is clear that our actions follow the condition of our heart. Luke chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In James chapter 2, verse 26, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Our actions are a manifestation of our beliefs and a reflection of our perseverance in practicing God's truth. They are an assurance of God's promises, in this case, eternal life. How? Because we have been born again in him. We no longer serve sin, which leads to death, but we serve Jesus, who brings us eternal life. The next thing we will see is that practicing God's truth protects us from lies. John goes on to say in verse 26 and 27, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it had been taught to you, remain in him. 
there are those who would try to lead us astray. Practicing God's truth protects us. See what John says? I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John is offering us both a warning and the antidote. What is the antidote? It is the anointing we receive from the Holy Spirit. It frees us from those who try to lead us astray because we can know the truth. Now, we can be taught by others and we can benefit from their teaching, but we are never dependent on them for the truth because we have the word and we have the spirit, which is all we need. The teaching of the spirit is both true and complete. And what does the spirit teach us? It teaches us to remain in Christ. Now, this topic of remaining in Christ is a broad one. We could have a whole sermon in of itself on that. But today, we want to just look at it as it relates to practicing God's truth. And again, in John 15, it goes into some aspects of that, one of which we'll look at. So John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Keep my commands, the practice of God's truth. That is how we remain in him. He models it for us, both by remaining in the Father and following the Father's commands and showing us what fellowship looks like. To that end, John is absolutely consistent, offering no deviation in this idea between the Gospel of John and the book of 1 John. The purpose is that his joy may be in us, thus making our own joy complete. As we read on, we learn that practicing God's truth brings us confidence, both now and on the day of his coming. Verse 28, Now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So a little story from my life. Uh, For several years, I was on the Young Professionals Committee at work. Uh, Unfortunately, the days of the company defining me as young have passed. Um, But each year, the work of that committee culminated in a presentation by the committee chair to the company board. Now, my second year on the committee, I was co-chair. And because I was co-chair, or sorry, vice chair, I was invited to the presentation. The chair was flying in from Toronto to give the presentation. But thunderstorms kept delaying his flight again and again. And around noon, the committee advisor came to me and said, you need to get your hands on his presentation and start looking at it. Because if he can't get here in time, you have to give it. Well, fortunately, the weather cleared up and uh, the chair arrived just in time. And so I was able to sit there and listen to the presentation. um, And I did help with the question and answer period. Uh, which in of itself was just absolutely nerve-wracking. But here's the position I was in. I was very close to having to stand in front of a room of very smart people that ran the company I worked for and pitch them on an idea that was going to cost real money. And they were going to ask hard questions, and I wasn't sure if I had the answers. Confidence was the farthest thing from my mind. I was sweating bullets just thinking about it. Confidence is not a feeling that we have when we are in the presence of those with power. Rather, we feel fear and terror, especially if we have nothing of value to offer. Well, there is no one greater or more powerful than God. And one day we will all stand before him. 
the great and glorious creator of the universe. These verses say when he appears and at his coming. In this case, that's referring to the second coming, which will not be like the first. You see, his first coming was very humble, right? He came as an ordinary baby. He grew up into what most would consider to be an unremarkable man. His glory and his power remarkably, miraculously restrained. But again, he promises that his second coming will not be like his first. He will come as his true self, descriptions of which we can read about in Revelation. And even with John's gift for imagery, we realize he only begins to scratch the surface of the glory that will be Jesus's when he returns. But when he returns, we'll be asked the hardest question. What makes you worthy to enter my presence and to fellowship with me? Yet this scripture promises us that we will stand before him unashamed and confident because we will have the answer. The answer is, I know the truth, that you are the Christ, my Lord and my Savior, and nothing but your blood makes me clean. The day of the Lord's coming will be met by fear for many. However, for us, it is something we can look forward to. Why? Because we have the assurance. He says, if you continue in him. And how do we continue in him? We've come back to this many times. It's by putting into practice what he has given us. So what's the conclusion of all this? We practice God's truth. Not because he needs us to, not to receive some reward. We practice God's truth because he's within us and our hearts cannot contain him. It overflows our hearts and it spills into our actions. And by so doing, it produces joy, complete joy. It produces protection and assurance and confidence. And most importantly, fellowship with the Father through the Son. So if you want your joy to be complete, you must practice his truth. Please just pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that you are the truth. Our hearts acknowledge that you are the Christ, as you declared yourself to be. Lord, we look forward to the day when we will stand before you. We will be unashamed and confident. We will claim our right to fellowship with you, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. We thank you that in your great love you have made a way for this. You make way now, even as we are here on this earth, to love you and to fellowship you and to practice the truth that you have given us. But Lord, we know this does not come by our own power. It comes through your spirit. So Lord, we pray that uh, you would just let the spirit teach us. Lord, every aspect, every day, every moment of our life would reflect the truth. We would put the truth into practice. And Lord, that while we're here on earth, we would give you glory and we look forward to the day when we worship you in heaven. We pray this all in your name. Amen.